welcome to Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, follow us on social media or visit our website, gatewayhome.com. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Now, I thought I would tell you a funny story about my family. For those that don't know, we have four children. Uh, my oldest is nine and my youngest is five. And so we have a house full. My, uh, I used to call him my endearing, my mini circus, because it was just constantly trying to manage chaos at my home. They're a little bit older now, so it's a little easier. But my youngest is... Um, Well, I like to say he has a little extra in him. I mean, I'm a youngest, so I know that we are naturally the best. God always saves the best for last. And so that's us, amen. Either got to talk about second boards. I'm definitely gonna just send one out for the youngest, you know, like we are the best, obviously. So that's my Jack. He is just the sweetest thing. But he also, he's hilarious, but he doesn't know he's hilarious. Like he doesn't mean to be hilarious. So for instance, last Sunday or last weekend, when Ethan was preparing for Easter, Easter Sunday, I was trying to kind of bathe the kids and get us ready for the week, set out clothes and do all the different things that moms do. And so all of a sudden, my little Jack comes running full speed into the bedroom that I was in at that moment. He's like, mom, mom, did you know that Jesus healed a bald man? I was like, huh? And he goes, Jesus healed a bald man. And before I could even ask more questions, here comes Preston, his older brother, running full speed as though he told him to say this. No, Jack, no, a blind man, a blind man. I was like, man, your daddy would have loved to reenact that miracle. Come on. We would have been hoping for that to happen again, right? It did it. It's not in the Bible, so we're settled where we are, and we love it, you know, whatever. But that is my household. And so today I want to jump into the Word of God, and I've titled today's message, The Great Exchange. And I want to talk about two women that had a similar experience, but very different. We like to say around here, same, same, but different. I don't know what it means, but it is. It's just they had these very similar stories, but they are also very different. And these stories are the moments where they anointed Jesus. We know that Jesus went to the cross. He died. He's alive again. It's what we celebrated last week. But in these moments before that, he was anointed twice. And so I want to look at both of those stories today. But before we jump into the text, um, one of the women that Uh, anointed Jesus was named Mary. And that is found in John 12. And we're going to read that a little bit later in the message. And then there's another woman, which is titled the sinful woman. And that's found in Luke 7. And we'll also read her passage in just a minute. But before we do, I'd like to lay the foundation for these two women. So I'd like to kind of tell you their background as they're coming into this anointing moment. As they come in to anoint Jesus, where are they coming from? I really truly believe that it is worth the time to figure out the context of the stories. And so let me just set the stage for you on where these women are coming from. The first one is Mary. Now, I need to tell you, uh, Mary was a popular name back then. So this is not Mary, the mother of Jesus. This is not um, another Mary that you may know. But this is actually the Mary um, in the story of Martha and Mary. 
If you don't know this story, Martha and Mary invite Jesus to their home and um, they're hosting him and Martha is frantically running around the house and making sure the dinner is made and the dessert is prepped and the table is set and all of the things are done and Mary is enjoying the conversation with Jesus. She's just sitting at his feet. They're having a great time, having a great conversation and at some point, Martha had just had enough. And so she looks at Jesus and she says, are you going to do anything about this? Like my sister's being lazy. I'm working. Like, are you going to address this? And if you go back and you read the story in verse 40, here's what it says. Martha was distracted. And then in verse 41, Jesus responds and he says, you are worried. And here, this is, and maybe another, we're not going to dive all the way into this, but just one little food for thought is that oftentimes when we become so busy, we become distracted, which leads to the worries and the anxieties that we're facing today. Mary and Martha, there was not a correction that was happening that one of them was right and one was wrong, but what he was correcting was her perspective of what she was doing. And so here Mary is coming from that moment. And the reason I tell you that is because Martha and Mary are considered the best hospitality team of the Bible. Now, if you've ever done any type of hospitality, you know that this is a gift given to some. This is an art that we have, right? Like, I don't have this gift. I have this friend. Her name's Sandy. She lives in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and y'all, she is the world's best host. Like, she just has this gift, and it just, she didn't even have to try. She's just so good at it, and I'm always asking, like, how do you do that? She makes these, like, chocolate truffles every time she greets someone. I'm like, how? When do you get time? Like, you're so good at it. I'm just, it's a gift. It's an art. And so Mary and Martha had this gift, and they had this art, which made Jesus, a frequent visitor. He loved how they treated him, that he loved the space that they created for them and how they were so hospitable towards them. When I started thinking about this, I asked myself this question. What kind of hospitality does Jesus receive from my life? Is my life one that is hospitable to his presence? Or am I too busy driving and working and trying to get my life together that I have forgotten to take the time to be hospitable to the kink. And here's what I'll tell you. As a church, we wanna be a hospitable church. We just had 70 people join our family and that is absolutely incredible. And I pray that they show up today and they feel the exact same hospitality that they felt last Sunday. I pray that across the world that we would become a church, that this isn't an insider's club. This is a celebration club and we are so excited you're a part of it. We're actually celebrating how many people we can get in it, not how many people we can get out of it. We want to be a hospitable church. And so here is Mary and Martha. Frequent visitors, they've had a lot of time with Jesus. Mary, this is not her first experience with Jesus when she goes to anoint him. But let me tell you what happens right before this anointing. You may know this story, but Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus. And Lazarus died. And there was this time in between Lazarus' death and when Jesus showed up. And I don't know if anybody, any of us can relate, but there's also some time where pain happens and we wonder, where are you? When are you coming? How are you fixing this? And yet Jesus showed up. Of course, he raised Lazarus from the dead and it was this amazing miracle. And so what is happening at the moment that Mary anointed Jesus is that they are having a celebration party to celebrate the miracle they just experienced. So this is that moment. People from all over the city are coming to see, is Lazarus really alive? And here she is. So the way that Mary is entering in the scene is one of gratitude. This is a familiar space for her. 
She's full of excitement and hope. She has just seen the goodness of God like never before. So she has this anticipation in seeing Jesus. And then there's this other woman who anointed Jesus. And the Bible calls her the sinful woman. Or in one passage, the immoral woman. We don't know her name. We don't actually even know what her sin was. All we know is that her, reputa- her reputation preceded her that it was negative. Here's how I know that, because in Luke 7, we're going to read the whole passage later, but in verse 39, um, it says, when the Pharisee, this is talking about Simon, who invited him, which is Jesus, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. In this day and age, her actions were very abnormal. They were very rare. They would have caused everyone to be like, what are you doing? Why are you behaving the way that you're behaving? It would have caused an alarm in this moment. But here's what her actions showed. Her actions showed that she was either after a favor from God or out of complete desperation for hope. And when you study it more, you will come to the conclusion that her actions is a pleading for grace for the sin that she has committed. It is a complete awareness of who she is crying out for mercy upon her life. So the way this sinful woman is entering the story is one of brokenness. This is very unfamiliar to her. To the best of our knowledge, this is the very first encounter she's ever had with Jesus. So she's entering in to this moment where she's going to anoint Jesus. And she's coming in just so desperate for hope. She's broken. She's distraught. She has a terrible reputation, which means that she probably wasn't liked by a lot of people. So she's lonely and she's desperate for God to do something. In a very unfamiliar way, she enters in. So now I want to show you the two stories in the Bible. And I want to show you what their response was. And there are two different journeys coming to it. But here is their response in the story. So let me read you Mary's first. It happens in John 12, starting in verse 1. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Lazarus was among those who ate with him. And then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Wiping his feet with her hair, the house was filled with a fragrance. But Judas Issachar, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wage. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he actually cared for the poor. I love how John calls him out. He's like, that wasn't his motive. He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. See, Mary's response was one of extravagance. This was something that she had worked for. This was something that she had probably been saving up for a very long time. And so here she is with such extravagance, everything that is of value to her, she's taking it to the feet of Jesus. And then there's a story of a sinful woman. In Luke 7, starting in verse 36, it says, One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she wasn't invited, She brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. 
Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She is a sinner. And then Jesus answered his thoughts. I like this because if he was a prophet, it's like, I think he is. I think he knows what you're thinking. But outside of that, here we are. Simon, he said to the Pharisees, I have something to say to you. I love this because Simon's unaware that he heard his thoughts. And he's like, sure, go ahead, teacher. I think he thinks he's about to be celebrated. I think he thinks like, I've done a good job. He's about to just tell me in front of everyone. I have a feeling he just, he's a little bit in that moment, right? And then Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more after that? Well, Simon answered, well, I suppose the one from whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected me the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and yes, they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me much love, but a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I want to set the stage of what is happening here because in our modern day and time, when we think of sitting down for dinner at a table, typically we think of a table with chairs. And so when we read that a woman would come up behind Jesus to wash his feet, in our mind, it's kind of hard to visualize that. We think this must have gotten awkward. Was she climbing under the chair? Like how did this go about? Well, let me tell you how they ate at this time and this day and time. The best way to picture it is to think of like a chase lounge. But they would lay on the floor with their feet stretched out on their side and they would prop their head up with their elbow so that they could have conversation and eat. If that is how it was, which is what they're saying it was, then it no longer is awkward for a woman to come around and be at the feet of Jesus. She's not inviting herself to his table. She's not putting herself in a place of honor. Instead, she is bowing at the feet of Jesus pouring out all that she is. And you know, most commentaries would tell you that what they believe is that the moment that she saw Jesus, she just burst into tears. She just, all of a sudden, she couldn't even control it. And in that day and time, it was um, custom that the woman's hair was pulled back. And if the woman's hair was down, they would maybe think that it was a seductive reason why their hair was down. But that isn't what's happening in this moment. What is happening is she began to cry so much and she looks down and she probably got embarrassed with how wet his feet are from her tears that she pulls her hair down and begins to try to clean up her mess and try to hide the fact that she's soaking him in her tears. And she's trying to put the oil on his feet and just began to pour out. And as I think about this image, I think about the fact that the oil is something external, something that she has worked for, something that she's put her mind towards, she's put her hands towards, she's put all of her efforts toward working, whether good or bad, to get this oil. 
And then there's this heart moment where all of a sudden the internal. And in this moment, what you see is a lavishing of love from the external to the internal. That everything on the inside of her was poured out as well as everything that she had earned, everything that the world would deem significant was also poured out. What she is saying is all that I am has been surrendered to him. All of my efforts, all of my abilities, all of my heart, all of my mind. There's a scripture that it reminds me of where he says that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And I think this is a perfect picture of that happening. A moment where they are just leaning in to what God is doing. But there's this parable in here that says, oh, well, those that are forgiven of 500 and those that are given of 50. And what tends to happen is the enemy likes to use this to tell us some lies. One of the lies may be, well, then I need to sin a lot so that I'm forgiven of a lot so that I can understand the love of God at a new level. You might say it this way, I need to build my testimony. It's what I said as a teenager. I'm just working on my testimony. It was a really great sinner. I think I liked it more as an excuse than an opportunity, but that was my belief. I have to sin a lot to understand God's love. Or maybe you're on the other side of this and you go, man, I've been in church my whole life. I'm a pretty good person. I I haven't stolen. I haven't murdered. I haven't done anything too bad. Like, I, I guess I'm a 50 and I'll never actually understand a love to that level. But here's what you need to know about this parable. Simon was thinking, and Jesus is responding to his thoughts with this parable. So he's addressing it in a way that Simon would understand. And it has nothing to do with the amount of sin that we have done. It has everything to do with our perspective. This is actually an issue of how you see yourself compared to God. If you see yourself as a 50, then you'll only ever understand God at the level you'll let him in it. But if you understand that each and every one of us were all bought with the exact same price, which is the blood of Jesus, then all of a sudden you realize that we are all 500s and now lavishing your love upon him is a good thing because you are desperate for the blood of Jesus. You are desperate for his love. We are all there. And you need to know that a good testimony is not based off of how good or bad your past is. It's how good your God is. How good is he in your life? Do you understand how good he is in your life? Are you aware of him in your life? Have you allowed him that space? What I find so amazing about these two stories is they came from such different backgrounds. You have this one woman that this is a very familiar thing. She has encountered Jesus multiple times. You have this other woman that this is her first time encountering Jesus. And yet they both brought expensive perfume. You have one that has been faithful to Jesus. She has just seen a miracle from God. And you have another one that is so desperate and broken before Jesus. And yet they brought the same thing. Totally different backgrounds. And yet they brought the same thing. Ultimately, they brought themselves. Despite your background, despite where you are on your journey, you have the same opportunity as these two women do. Whether you came in here and you are celebrating the goodness of God, maybe one of the 70 last week was somebody you have been praying for and you see the miracle, the hand of God in your life. You've been walking with him. This is a familiar space to him. Or maybe today you came in here so desperate for God to show up in your life. Maybe last night was the party of the year and you just stumbled into church today. It's a good thing because you're in the exact right place. 
And you have the gift of yourself that you can give him. No matter your journey, we all have an opportunity to give him something. We all have the opportunity to pour ourselves out upon him. And this is the thing. This was a very expensive perfume. I did a quick Google search. And right now, what is on Google as the most expensive perfume is $89,000 for just a couple ounces. When it says in the Bible that this was a year's wage, she poured out 12 ounces. This wasn't a cheap thing that she did. So I have a question. Why would we give God something that cost us nothing when he gave us something that cost him everything? It's time to pour out the things that are so near and dear to your heart. It is time to let go and allow God to have full control over them. But when you do, there's this group called the others. We all have a group called the others. I don't need you to think of their name. That's not what we're here for today. But we all have the others. And here's what the others are. They don't have the perspective you have. So here we are in Mary's story, and um, all of a sudden you see a Judas who is just indignant with, how could you do that? But the reality of it was, he wanted the money back for himself. And then you have this man named Simon, who somewhere along the lines believed he was better than her. Somewhere along the lines had believed this thought that I am worth more than she is. Here's what I think happened with Simon. I think he became too familiar. He didn't realize who was in his house. He didn't realize how it was. He didn't understand the power that was sitting at his table. And so all of a sudden, he began to compare himself. And Jesus flips that comparison. And Simon had made some major social errors. In that time and day, the custom would have been to do all of these different things. And Simon did it because he didn't understand who was coming in. And here's the reality of both of these men that all of a sudden became the others in the crowd. In their indignant, in their anger, and in their rage toward what was happening, they did not reveal a problem with what was happening. They revealed a problem with what was in their heart. And sometimes I have fallen into the crowd of the other where I have lost perspective of what is happening and I have snapped and I have judged and I have criticized and I have allowed anger to come into my heart and all it has ever revealed is that I need a surgeon on my heart. I need help, I need perspective. And so if you've fallen into the crowd of another, it's just time to repent. But if you have a group of others, understand that Jesus spoke to them that you can still stand pouring out all that you are to them. Because please hear me, the world will always have something you should do with your gifts and talents. They will always have suggestions. They will always tell you, this is what you should do. This, I see this talent in you and you should go do this. And here's the thing. The right thing to do is to go, with, to, go to God with it first. Go to the feet of Jesus with it first because he can multiply it. He can direct it. He can tell you where to go with it. So what's your most prized possession? What's that thing that you're holding on to that you deem so valuable? You've worked a long time for it. Maybe you grew up with not a lot and so now you are out of security gonna make sure that you are never with lack again and you're gonna hold on to it. You're going to just keep it tight and close for protection and security. The question is, will your alabaster jar, your prized possession, be poured out at Jesus' feet? Because if it will, 
then there is a great exchange that can happen. There's a mighty exchange that can happen because these two women rightfully placed God in the place that he was called to be. And when they did, I believe they received some gifts. I believe they received his presence, evidently. He, they received purpose. They received perspective. But in anointing Jesus, I just want to break down what anointing means. I'm going to read you a definition of anointing. It means consecrated or made sacred. It's a ceremonially to grant or bestow a title, degree, benefit, or right on someone as divine or holy. This is to install someone into a new office. So when these women were anointing Jesus, they were anointing him in their lives. They were bestowing upon him the benefit and the title to be their savior. Reality of it is, is that he is the savior of the world. He is sitting on the throne. The question that becomes personal, is he sitting it on your life? The throne of your life. Is he the king of your life? And that's the decision that you and I get to make, is that we will do this. And so what they did in anointing him and pouring out the depths of their heart and pouring out the things that were important to them, in that moment, what they were doing is saying, you have become the Lord and the savior of my life of my talents, of my gifts, of my strengths, of my prized possessions, you sit on the throne of that. When I was thinking about these two women's journey, I was reminded how oil is made. And oil is usually made through a crushing and through a process. And I realized that these two women went through a process. Now, one of them went through a process based off decisions that were out of her control. Her brother died. That's a very traumatic thing, and she, that was not something she could control. And yet it caused her to go through a process, a crushing and a painful situation. And then you have this other woman who went through a process and a crushing based off the decision she had made. And yet both of them ended up at the exact same place, the feet of Jesus. Both of them ended up with the exact same gift that they could give him themselves. And in the great exchange, I believe there's a gift that they received that they didn't even know they were asking for. And here's the gift I believe they received, a mediator. Now let me explain. In the Old Testament, they talk about an incense. And they would burn this incense at morning and at night, and at morning and at night. And only one Jewish priest could go into the, what they called the Holy of Holies, on the other side of this little curtain. And that man would stand on behalf of everyone and pray for them. But the incense and the fragrance that would rise from the burning of incense that they would burn in the morning and at night would serve as the mediator to open the gates of heaven so that they would hear, that the Lord would hear their prayers. And so here's what I believe happened. As these women began to anoint Jesus. It says a fragrance filled the room, but I believe a fragrance filled the atmosphere. And it says that it prepared Jesus for his burial. And here's what happened in that moment, that the one high priest became anointed with a fragrance. And when he went into the tomb for a short period of time, he went to heaven and hell and he gained back all that had been lost because he now held the fragrance that was the mediator for you and I. And he gained it all back and he sat down at the right hand of God. You and I get a, a mediator 
because of the fragrance of God that he carries, the sacrifice that he carries. Here's how Hebrews 7.25 says this. There were many priests under the old system, for death prevented them from remaining in office. But because Jesus lives forever, his priesthood lasts forever. Therefore, he is able once and forever to save those who come to God through him. He lives forever to intercede with God on their behalf. Hebrews 8, 6, but now Jesus, our high priest, has been given a ministry that is far superior to the old priesthood, for he is the one who mediates for us a far better covenant with God based on better promises. Listen, our communion with God is only possible because of Jesus. If you want to take it one step further, the incense that they would burn, they said that they would do it in the morning and at night. If you go back and you study chronologically, the sinful woman most likely anointed Jesus towards the beginning of his ministry, and Mary anointed him towards the end of his ministry at the beginning and at night. And here, if you want to even go even further, then the night that Jesus was born, they brought him incense, and it was the exact same incense that was burned in the Old Testament. So from the day that he was born to the day that he died, he carried the incense of sacrifice for you. He held on to every single part of what you need. And he held it for you. These women came to Jesus desperate for him. Desperate for him. And they anointed him in this moment with everything that they had. There was things that they were holding on to. I promise you, I bet they were afraid to get rid of that. They could have sold it and bought food. They could have done so much more with that. I'm sure there was a moment of hesitation that was like, is it worth it? And I know with a resounding yes, they said absolutely. And they began to pour this out on Jesus. And it set them up for a far greater gift. It reminds me of this picture I saw on the internet. And I've asked the team to put it on the screens. But it's of a little girl holding a small teddy bear. And that teddy bear has been through so much with that little girl, I'm sure. It's kept her safe at night and helped her feel protected. It's been the thing that she has held on to in the best of times and in the worst of times. And Jesus so graciously kneels down to get eye level with her. And he says, can I have it? And she says, oh, but God, it means so much to me. What will happen when the next storm comes and I don't have anything to hold on to? What will happen? And he says, if you'll just trust me, if you'll just give it to me. And over moments, she slowly relinquishes the thing that has been so near and dear to her heart, the thing that has carried her through. And little did she know behind his back was a far bigger gift, a far better gift, one that would be with her through much longer times. And today, you and I can be like those women that come to the feet of Jesus to anoint him with everything that we are, to pour our oil out upon him, to give him every part of control. I know, listen, this is a challenge for me too. I know there are places that we hold on to for security. We've gone through some hard things Life has not been easy, and that very thing that you are holding on to can actually bring you greater reward if you will let it be at his feet. 
if you will release it onto him and you will pour it out upon him. The question comes back to be, whatever your alabaster jar is, whatever your most prized possession is, will you pour it out on the feet of Jesus? Will you let him have it? Because if you will, he has a greater reward on the other side because he loves you and he wants to lavish his love on you. Why wouldn't we do the same and lavish our love upon him? I'm gonna ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And in this moment, we're gonna end our service like we always do, but I wanna take just a moment because maybe you're here today and you need to let go of something. You need to pour your oil upon the feet of Jesus. Maybe it's an area like your finances or your marriage or maybe it's children or that job. Whatever it is, you need to release it and let it be his. But some of us in this room maybe came in here really desperate. And we would love to relate to the married journey. But instead, we relate to the immoral, the sinful woman journey. And we're so broken and hopeless. And today was our last hope of just out of desperation, we came. And I want to tell you, the most extravagant gift that you can return is you. And if today, you need to make that decision... I want you to know it'll be the very best decision you've ever made. I want you to know that it's like the little teddy bear. There's something far greater on the other side of your yes. And so I want to take just a moment. All eyes are closed. All heads are bowed. This isn't about um, anything but you surrendering to God. And if you're here in this room and you say, you know what, Elaine, I need to give my life back to God. I need to make that most extravagant gift where I can say, God, I'm yours. I need to bestow him as the savior of my life, the king of my life. Then I wanna give you just a moment to do that here. And here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Like a child lifts up their arms to a father because they're exhausted from walking. I just want you to lift your hand up. This isn't necessarily for me. It's really for you and the Lord to say, God, would you pick me up out of this pit? Today during worship, I saw an image of someone stuck in a pit, crying out for God. And the Lord came down and he just said, I'm lifting my hand down to say, I can get you out if you want to, but you're gonna have to lift your hands up to reach me. I've got you, I'm gonna pull you out of this. So right now, just lift your hands up and surrender. God, get me out of this pit, the pit I've created on my own. And then right there in your own words, I was 19 years old when I surrendered to the Lord. I didn't say some fancy prayer. In your own words, just say, God, I give it up to you. I surrender my life to you. And I ask you to be my Lord. And for everyone else in the room, doesn't matter what your alabaster jar is, it's time to pour it out on the feet of Jesus. And so, Lord, right now, I say thank you for the price you paid. 
Lord, we come to you with grateful hearts out of desperation and hope for the future. But Lord, today, we take those near and dear parts of our heart, those places that we have tried to control, that we've tried to hold on to, and Lord, we release them at your feet and we pour our oil out on you. We anoint you today as the King of kings and the Lord of lords over our lives. And we just worship you today. With everything on the inside and everything on the outside, Lord, we give it all to you and we worship you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. joining us today. If you live in the Houston area or are in town for a visit, we would like to invite you to join us for a service. For service times and location or more information about Gateway Church, follow us on social media or visit our website gatewayhome.com. Have a blessed week.